You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Tony Telecast from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. Welcome, listeners, to our mini-series about the Tonys, looking into the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history. In each podcast episode, we watch a telecast of a previous Tony Awards, not only the performances, but the opening and the speeches to see how it reflects the season as a whole. So let's dive back in and talk about the 1999 Tony Awards. Yay! Okay, before we get into the nominated performances, I have one question. I would love to hear your question. Where is the It Ain't Nothing But The Blues performance? I have no idea. It's so weird that there's a nominated musical and we don't see them. It's a nominated musical that's currently running as well. It opened April 22nd, 1999. It didn't close until January of 2000. So it's, so um, it's just hanging out. It's hanging out. People are nominated. I literally was like, maybe it got, cl- maybe it closed, but I was like, that's not a thing because Parade was way closed by then. So that can't be an excuse. I was like, nope. Where is nope. it? Got it. Go. Looking back at the New York Times the following day, June 8th, 1999, blues protests a cut in the Tony show. The morning after the Tony Awards ceremonies, it wasn't the winners that theater professionals were talking about. It was the musical number from It Ain't Nothing But The Blues dropped from the CBS broadcast. What? Because the Sunday night Tony broadcast was running long, the production number from Blues was eliminated at the last minute to meet the network's strict cutoff timeline of 11 p.m. Whoa. And this wasn't the first time. Uh, I guess Smokey Joe's Cafe experienced a similar incident in 1996. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can read about it on the New York Times website, but it's it yuck. <laughs> wow. <I> mean, <laughs> on our um, spectrum of community celebration to commercial, this feels super Really, icky. really, really gross. Like, Especially because it's a show that's currently running at the time, and there are other shows that get to perform that are not running at this time. That's not a good look, American Theater Wing. That is a very bad look actually. <laughs> but it wasn't a look we realized until after the performances. So let's talk about these performances that we did get sure. to see. Yes, let's talk. First up, The Civil War singing Freedom's Child. Cast of 28 onstage performers singing a Frank Wildhorn bop. What And what a bop it was. It is a toe-tapping song. However, it is also a very problematic song. Yes. I mean, let's just, right from the get, when we watch those two flags run across the stage. The number opens with a United States flag and a Confederate flag being trotted across the stage. And I, in 2021, I was like, nope. Nope. I don't want to see that. Nope, 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 nope. Not even a little bit. I was like, get it out of here. <laughs> get it out of here. Get it off the Gershwin. Ooh, it was a lot. And then it felt like, the song was mostly sung by the company's black performers, mm-hmm. um, although there were solos sung by like um, army union and Confederate soldiers on both sides. Just, yes, yeah. but 
it really felt like the black people were celebrating slavery. I don't know. It just, it was like an icky song to me. What it wasn't great. Think? It wasn't great. And it was very significant, not even just to this performance, but even with Parade, which is a show that I very much love, it felt very like the commercialization of a subject matter that these two white men writing it shouldn't really be making light of for public consumption. I don't know. And to say they're making light of it is a little too much, but like it, it does feel like it's sort of minimizing the gravity of the content by putting it in this like bop, for lack of a better word. It's a soaring Frank Wildhorn pop rock song. Literal toe tapping. That is just like... Of this isn't black it. people being just so happy that their freedom is coming thanks to the work of these white. It's it's a lot. It was like, I don't. Yeah, let's not do this show. Anyway. <laughs> this isn't it. This isn't it. At all. Speaking of things that I think are also not it. <laughs> what a transition. Peter Pan. <sighs> Peter Pan performs I'm Flying. Now, this show played Broadway twice this season the same production with mostly the same cast played the marquee theater from november to january and then played the gershwin april to august oh so they didn't even just move theaters they like left and came back yeah or went into storage or did it or something yeah so the gershwin being the home of the tonys this year they get the full set and they get the full flying yeah the home team gets the advantages of the home team they get yes which in this case is a lot of flying. Yes, it was. What did you think of this performance of I'm Flying from Peter Pan? Have you seen Kathy Rigby and Peter Pan? I have not, no. I saw it, I think, in San Francisco. Yes, Peter Pan is Peter Pan. Whatever, Peter Pan. Watching Kathy Rigby as Peter Pan is one of the most thrilling things in the show, especially during this number. So watching this number on the Tonys... I was living like a five-year-old boy, especially the moment where the three kids are just flying and then Kathy Rigby is like darting from one side to the next because I remember talking to my friend Tara Jenkins, who was in the production that I saw, and she says that Kathy Rigby would just fly and then catch herself on like the side fabric of of the side stage and then fling herself the other way. It was like a full gymnastics routine, like trapeze routine. So I loved it. How did you feel about it? You know, my primary relationship to Peter Pan is watching the Mary Martin version as Mm, a kid. I feel like I watched it kind of often. And so, I mean, man, that's problematic. But I watched it, I feel like, a lot. Yeah. So coming back to it, like basically like not paying attention to Peter Pan for 30 years, I was like... This song's kind of boring. It's just one note. They're just saying I'm flying. Oh, 100%. There's no there's no depth to the song. It's all about the flying. <laughs> I want to see like the musical theater student who's like trying to create a journey, like a dramaturgical journey out of I'm flying. <laughs> I think that's us literally right now. <laughs> I think that's like, you and me. Am I flying? Could I possibly? Is candy a strong <laughs> enough happy thought? What about Christmas? <laughs> But I will say, when she leaves for a little while and puts on that, like, Mary Poppins rig where she flies into the audience. Yeah. Forget it. Forget it. It's so good. I love it. It is so good. And the it's less about do I enjoy it as does this 
audience enjoy it. And this audience is eating this up with a spoon. They yeah. give this huge standing ovation to the number. They are in awe of what's going on. And so part of me goes like, okay, like me who's seen flying a lot or thinks Peter Pan is problematic is not so excited about this. But in 1999, that audience at the Tony Awards, they were like, this is the shit. I'm a parade stan. Speaking of shows that like came at the right time, like I was just like a young theater queer when Parade came out and I was like, this is important theater and I love this show. Uh huh. So we get to see a performance of This Is Not Over Yet and The Old Red Hills of Home, uh. which I mean, like before we came in, I was just excited to see Parade, but I feel like I got exactly what I wanted from this performance. 100%. I mean, Parade... Parade's parade. Parade's like in that upper echelon of sophisticated theater of like, if you don't like parade, then something's wrong with you. (laughs) Like it's that level of musical theater that is only reserved for like Sondheim and like Adam Gettle. Right. Brent Carver and- Brent Carver is so good. He's He's acting at you. He's giving you just like a real human person that is experiencing things and is like weird and having like weird person reactions. It's my favorite kind of acting where you're like, I never would have made that choice. And yet it feels so grounded and realistic when that person does. I mean, and Carolee Carmella, the same thing you can say for Carolee Carmella. I mean, like they're two titans of this industry just singing- This thrilling song. I mean, just in terms of selling the show, I mean, not that you need to sell the show, I guess, because it's closed at this point. But like, yeah, the title of the song is This Is Not Over Yet. So you're like, what what is it? Like, if it's not over yet, what's going to happen? Like, it it literally is like begging the question, like something is going to happen, which, of course, if you know the show is death. But, you know, (laughs) at this point, Uh uh-huh. It's hopeful. Here's my two questions about this, because you're right. The show is closed. A, what were they selling? They were selling a national tour because I saw the national tour the the following Got it. And what do you think they were advertising? Because it was a very significant choice. Because yes, they do Old Red Hills of Home, but they really just do This Is Not Over Yet. Like the central performance is This Is Not Over Yet. They're showcasing their nominees, Brett Carver and Carolee Carmelo. Okay. Because I would argue that they might also be selling the music of the show. Hmm. Oh, you mean like they're selling Jason Robert Brown? Yeah. I mean, they're selling because I don't know how well they sell like the subject matter of the show. You don't really know what the show is about. No. Yeah. But they're selling this like viscerally moving song that really like if these two like subject matterly questionable shows with bops were up against each other, I think this bop won over freedom's child because this song just gets under your skin like a lot of jason robert brown's music does Mm -hmm. in a good way and i feel like that's what stays with you in this performance the music yeah and also like freedom's child is a very busy staging right there's flags and there's slow motion sword fighting and these people come down from that platform and the other part like Mm -hmm. basically you get brett carver and carolee carmelo standing and singing and then 12 ensemble members from Parade, mm-hmm. which is much smaller than the show's actual ensemble, but I assume because it's closed, it was like, who was available? Who wants to come? Yeah. Who wants to come down? Who wants a check? Stand on the stage and sing. They literally stand on stage and sing. There's like a beautiful pan across their faces that feels like the ragtime pan. Yeah. That is like 
you get to see all of their acting at you and some of them are acting way mm-hmm. too big for camera and so you just think it's <laughs> it's fantastic i love it yeah um you know adina alexander but full park and bark like oh, the part the park and bark of it is fantastic um, full park and bark and so it, there's nothing to distract from the fact that this music is very good. soaring and beautiful i think you're right aaron yeah You're a good man, Charlie Brown. My new philosophy, the, the performance that launched a million college auditions. <laughs> Kay Chen's rise to power right here. She is so good at my new philosophy. I mean, speaking of selling the nominee, like uh-huh. she gets to do the whole dang thing. Mm-hmm. And she's fantastic. Gosh, she was she so good. She knocks it out of the park. She was so good. Forget it. This is This is your star turn right here. I mean, I feel like there's no one who's listened to this podcast who hasn't seen Kristen Chenna with Do My New Philosophy, whether you mm-hmm. watch the Tonys or you've seen it at a gay bar. Like, <laughs> we have two audiences. And uh-huh. You either saw this on your computer, live, or at Musical Mondays. Like, <laughs> forget it. What I did, what I had never seen is the tag of happiness at the end. I, I mean, I saw this production. Um, mm, wow, it, work. And watching them to happiness i was like that is a great ensemble those are six performers who are all telling a cohesive story with a unified energy you can tell that they're all in the same show they are telling the same story and somehow i don't know maybe it's just me because i am the ensemble idiot in this community but i'm just i (laughs) i was like that's fantastic what they showed us in that little clip of happiness was a group of people all telling a story together yeah Absolutely. And you see that love. Like when Roger wins, when Kristen wins. Yes. Like you hear them talk about how much they love each other. And I was like, oh, that's totally like 100% apparent in this performance of happiness. It's a community. It's like when the community transcends the job. It's great. It's time to talk about Fosse Sing Sing Sing. (gasps) Fosse Sing Sing Sing. Oh my gosh. Aaron Albano, graduate of the Broadway Theater Project, future (laughs) employee of Andy Blank and Bueller. Like, Uh, talk about how you feel about this performance. It may need to be its own podcast. It's an icon. It's iconic. It's like, like, there's no other word for it. It is iconic. It is legendary. It is everything because talk about a number that every dancer has seen either on their computer or at a musical mondays this is the number that we all know and have gagged over it is full of broadway legends future tony award winners sergio trujillo andy blankenbuehler previous tony award winner scott weiss along with lisa gaida Lainey sakakura rochelle rack Shannon Lewis, Marianne Lamb, Dana Moore, Michael Paternostro, like the list goes on. It's a caliber that is untouchable. It's they're so good. They're so good. How do you feel about this number? I don't eat it up with the spoon as you do. I think it's very good. Uh-huh. What stood out to me is just how massive it is. It's 26 onstage performers. I just I, anytime you see like more than 20 people dancing on stage, I'm like, that's expensive. What? Yeah. Somebody valued human bodies and so they put their money where their mouth was and they hired a lot a lot of people to be in the show Mm, yeah the movement is very sharp i don't it doesn't even feel like militaristic in its sharpness no it's just like so clean and that that's where this number for me is a like study in brilliance 
Because, like, you're right. It's so clean. It's so sharp. It's so precise. And yet not, they're, it's not like they're all, all the angles of their arms or their fingers are all exactly the same. It's just no. like every one of those dancers seems to be, like, really dancing. <laughs> yeah. They're all dancing so individually and yet all dancing the same. Yeah. Like, you can watch, like, Sergio... And Andy dance nothing alike, and yet they are dancing together. It's so good. It's so, like, it's thrilling. Andy Blankenbuehler has some solos and great camera moments in this. Oh, yeah. And he has got some fucking swagger. Oh, yeah. It's nuts. I was like, oh, he's brilliant. Uh, I I could go on for many, many, like, we could do, like, a frame for frame, and I would gag about it. Please subscribe to Aaron Albano's new podcast, A Frame for Frame (laughs) Breakdown of... The performance of Sing, of Sing, 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 Sing from the 1999 Tony One Awards. frame a week. We'll be here for three years. Uh, and then for us who just watched Fosse Verdon to see Gwen Verdon applauding from the house after the performance, being acknowledged on stage when the show wins Best Musical, like, mm-hmm. I, it's like very lovely, I think. Little me. Boom, boom. (laughs) This is Martin Short and four women. Included in those women is Roxanne Barlow and Cynthia Onrubia. Broadway legend Cynthia Onrubia. What a queen. What a weird song. Yeah. The song is weird. It's So it's like an overly French Frenchman and four French dancing girls dancing about boom boom which is a euphemism for sex oh really i didn't catch that in this number (laughs) from all the from all the like bass drums and hip thrusts like aggressive hip thrusts toward the audience yeah i was like is this funny like it's not funny to me now but was it funny then it just didn't feel clever to me no it didn't but also uh, 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 it felt like a martin short show it felt like exactly the humor that Martin Short is sort of known for. Not really anything subtle about it. It's all pretty in your face, which is kind of on brand for Martin Short. I'm not a wild fan <laughs> of Martin Short. <laughs> no, this this performance does do one thing that Tony audiences love, yes. which is there are mic problems. His mic is cracking throughout the performance. A stagehand comes on stage with a handheld microphone. And to save the show, he covers brilliantly. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so Martin Short does a wonderful job of incorporating, acknowledging, and then moving on from the fact that he has a handheld mic, which I which I always love to see. But it's sure. But just because you do that doesn't mean you should get a Tony Award. All right. I want to know about Andy Get Your Gun for you because Andy Get Your Gun is like the show that my mom did in high school. And so I grew oh. up knowing all of that music, but I didn't know why. It was just like songs my mom sung in the house. And then I saw the show and I was like, I know all these songs because my mom <laughs> sung them to me when I was a, a young person. So I just like have such affinity for this show. Yeah. And I think it came off very well. And we'll get into that. But what did you think about it? I want to know if it's just my bias. I was pretty bored. I thought they were fine. I was more excited about the I Got the Sun in the Morning section. And then when all the ensemble left and we were left with Tom Wopat and Bernadette Peters, like singing a love song to each other, I think. I was like, okay, cool. 
Is that a nice way to say that I didn't like it that much? Yeah. I just like this Jeff Calhoun staging, you know, director of Newsies. Here he's the choreographer of Andy Get Your Gun. It's just like a big, fun Broadway hoedown. Sure. It's not difficult choreography, but it 100% does the job, in my humble opinion. It's just like good stage pictures. And I think that the chemistry between Tom Opat and Bernadette Peters is perfect. I think I was sold on chemistry. I was sold on chemistry in the 1999 Tony Awards. I think I would agree with that. All right, let's get to our Yelp review. So, Mo, which performance made the show look better than it was? I guess Annie Get Your Gun, because that show looked good to me. I liked the hoedown. I liked Tom Wopat and Bernadette Peters. I, I mean, I agree that it's not a perfect show, and yet I thought it was a good Tony Award performance. What about you? Peter Pan. <laughs> Again, Peter Pan's Peter Pan. But when you got Kathy Rigby, like, soaring into the audience after doing her, like, Olympic pyrotechnics across the stage, I was thrilled. At that moment, I'm flying was making me sore. Are you a reviewer? Are you an (laughs) author? Because, man, that is 100%. That's the headline. That's the headline for the New York Times. Exactly. What performance made you want to buy a ticket? Fosse. Like, do I even need to respell out why? People can tune into your new Frame by Frame podcast if they want to know why. (laughs) Uh, What about you? Well, this was easy for me because I saw these shows. And so Mm. I know that You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown actually made me want to buy a ticket. So yes, these performances, the cohesion of the onstage energy, the star turned by Kristen Chenoweth. Yes, it made me want to buy a ticket. And I did. Which speech moved you the most? It was Dame Judi Dench for Amy's View. It was such a classy speech. A, I was already shocked that it was her first Tony. She walks up and she's beaming and she says, I've said it before and I shall say it again. The winning bit is not the best. The nominating bit is the best. And then calls out all of her other nominees by first name because they're chums. And then says, it doesn't seem fair, but I'm thrilled to have it. In the weirdest, most gracious, beautiful way of saying like, I don't deserve it, but I'm taking it home anyway. Like, it's charming. And then she goes, there is no such thing as being able to give a performance on your own unless you're doing a one-woman show. Therefore, my thanks has to go to the cast, the stage management, and everyone backstage who you don't see at the Barrymore. And I'm like, way to throw your accolades to everyone else around you. I love her. Just classy as fuck. Yeah, way to divert attention and yet in that bring attention back to yourself. I think I described Don to Elizabeth Franz okay. for Death of a Salesman um, because I just get excited when people talk about ensembles. So she said, in fact, someday we will give ensemble awards. So I will accept this for the greatest ensemble an actor could ever dream of working with. Again, that sort of like deflection I thought was really beautiful. What was your biggest surprise win? This was hard for me. I went with Martin Short over Brent Carver. Um, in part because I just enjoyed Brett Carver's performance in Parade so much more in this than mm. Martin Short's, which just felt kind of like juvenile. Yep. But I didn't see the show. Like, should Martin Short have a Tony Award? Maybe. Sure. Yes. Like, he mm-hmm. it, he is a great performer. And so if this was, like, the time to give it to him, I'm not going to be mad at that. Like, Brent Carver has this Tony Award for Kiss of the Spider-Woman. So maybe it was just like, let's give another. I'm 
in theory, I'm I'm always up for more people having Tony Awards and fewer people having more Tony Awards. Sure. It's just kind of Spread the wealth. I, yes. Yeah. Um, what was your biggest surprise win? Dame Judi Dench. Again, because it was her first win. Floored that it's her first win. But also, it's her first win, and that category was heavy. That category was very stiff. It was Stockard Channing, Marianne Seldes, and Zoe Wanamaker. Like now, I'm just angry that we didn't see a plays medley with with the women. With the yeah. women, I'm furious. It's dumb. I'm like, you got these women. Come on, let them act. Would you recommend watching the 1999 Tony Awards? I always hate saying no, but this is a nope for me. Yeah. Uh, the musical performances are lackluster almost across the board. I think Fosse and My New Philosophy are great, but there's no opening number. The best play montage is icky. Mm-hmm. I was glad it was fast. I'm glad it was an efficient Tony Awards. If you're looking for an efficient Tony Awards, then the 1999 Tony Awards are for you. What about you, Aaron? Uh, would you recommend watching? No, same. I mean, like again despite it being shorter i was definitely playing with my phone about two-thirds of the way through the telecast and that's not that long like Mm -hmm. that's like an hour in come on man um i would say youtube the parade performance youtube the your good man charlie brown performance definitely youtube the posse performance and then google and watch everything available featuring carol burnett and julie andrews just yeah you can watch them at carnegie hall you can watch their tv specials there's a lot there they were amazing had they hosted i'd probably have said yes they did not host they said here's best musical and here's something else Thanks for joining us for the second half of our Tony Telecast host choice. We had Aaron's choice. He made a bad one, guys, but it's okay because it's on to me next. Uh, and for our next recap, Aaron, I want to take us back to 1984, which is Baby Lacage Faux, The Tap Dance Kid, and Sunday in the Park with George. Ooh. It's a okay. good stack for best musicals. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And by me, Mo Brady. Special thanks to Wasif Sammy for the background research on this week's Tony season and all Tony seasons. Please rate and review The Ensemblist wherever you listen to your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. Our Patreon members have on-demand access to our archive, including full conversations with our guests and early access to episodes. You can support us for between $5 and $20 a month at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.